0: Welcome back to PTV's podcast series. Um, this is Rick Anderson, Managing Director at PTV Healthcare Capital. We're joined today by a very special guest, one of our senior advisors, Richard Dakers. Richard, welcome.
1: Thanks, Rick. It's good to be here.
0: And, you know, Richard and I have gone, we go way back, and uh, we've, we've uh, been in a lot of the same mud holes together and, and from our Johnson & Johnson days, and Richard, it's a real pleasure for us and our audience to get an opportunity to sort of spend some time with you to talk about you know, the art of the deal. If you're going to go in a process to sell your company or be involved in an M&A transaction, you know, you've done more deals over a career than most people in our industry. And as an industry thought leader in this sort of space, and you've worked with bankers and small companies across the board as J&J's business model is really to acquire, you know, outstanding companies. So before we sort of jump into it, I would love for you to just sort of give your background, introduce yourself to our audience, and then I, I want to just jump right into the sort of deal-related stuff.
1: Sure. Uh, welcome. I'm glad to be here. It's um, really exciting. Um, so I, I was with j for 33 years, um, the last 17 of which essentially was all in business development, mergers, and acquisitions, and, uh, and and essentially got into that by almost mistake. When we started Ethicon Endosurgery in the early 90s, we looked to make an acquisition, and nobody had done, and uh, there was no business development department So I I had identified a target and was asked to go figure out how to make that deal happen and never got away from it uh, after that. And ultimately was the VP of Business Development for the medical device sector for J&J. Uh, and then was with you at Cordis for a little while when we were trying to figure out what to do next. And uh, laterally was at, at orthoclinical diagnostics uh, in the, in the diagnostics group there. And then I retired from J&J and actually ended up spending a couple of years at West Health, which is a very interesting not-for-profit entity based on the West Coast, where I was in charge of business development, strategic planning, and uh, actually was the president of a, a spin-out that we did there called the Centre for Medical Interoperability.
0: Yeah, Richard, your your career as not, not just a, as a business development person, but as a business leader. And one of the hallmarks of, of your leadership is sort of the great range that you have. The, you're comfortable in the big boardroom, and you're also comfortable with a startup company CEO. And I think that's, for me personally, having a chance to work directly with you, you know, to me, that was such a, such a huge asset. Um, Richard, I want to just jump right into this and sure. get your, to talk with our audience you know, we talk a lot to our, to portfolio companies, current and future ones, about, you know, whether a company gets bought or sold or goes public. You know, just build an extraordinary business. Just build a great business. Um, but eventually, their doors get knocked on. And I'd like to start with your view of, like, what, what makes sort of a win-win you know, M&A transaction and sort of today's sort of marketplace where, you know, it's hard to say who has the leverage data, the big guy or the, or the small company in sort of this sort of dislocating marketplace that we live in. So it'd be great to get you to just talk about what you think makes a, a really good win-win
1: Sure. So I think, look, I think it's multifaceted, Rick. Um, you know, people would sometimes ask me, like, what I did at Johnson & Johnson. And, you know, saying I, I do business development is sort of, you know, pretty coy. But the reality is what, what you did was you build bridges. You build a bridge between a small company and a small company culture and a large company and a large company culture. And you sort of help them understand each other. And I think part of um, what, what makes a win-win deal is timing um, it 's not always the right time for both sides to make a deal, but that doesn 't mean you shouldn 't keep talking to each other and you should build friendship and understand and and, and be as open with each other as to what progress you 've made as the small company and you know a strategy changes as a large company. I think the other thing you, you owe small company CEOs is not to waste their time. Um, you can be a very disruptive shadow in the in the background with the hope that maybe you're going to come in with the big check and and ultimately that may never happen and i think right. keeping your 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 credibility as a, as a as a strategic business development leader in the marketplace by being as honest with people as, as you as you can is important i think ultimately if a deal gets done um, i think what makes it successful is not the deal getting done the deal getting done is merely one milestone right business development's a process. Um, and the end of the process is full integration. And, and I think it's important that you identify the roadblocks to successful integration as early in the process as you possibly can from both sides. And that's everything from having an integration leader from the acquiring company appointed as early as possible so they can get fully immersed in the diligence to understand what it is you're actually taking on and know what capability gaps you're gonna to have to plug, what new capabilities you're gonna to have to build because you're not gonna inherit them. And I think from the from the from the, the, the selling company CEO side, it's it's truly being a partner in that process, right? Business development is not a game, it's not a sport, it's not a win lose competition, it's a process. And if you're prepared to harness yourself to it, I think everybody can 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 do well and everybody can walk away with their their heads held high and be be realistic that you would do it again with each other and i think that was one of the things i always tried to to instill in with my team and with with companies we were working with was you know i want to make sure that they would be prepared to, to work with us again
0: yeah and richard i mean i, I know that's i know that's absolutely fact and you've seen a lot of deals you've seen some that gone well and some that hadn't gone well can, when 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 a small company is acquired by a big company, are there some characteristics or or sort of markers that you looked for that you knew that this transaction, the the actual transaction, the integration was going to go well? What were those? some of the things that made a deal go well? So I
1: think so. If again, you know, you describe it as a process. I think when when if you've got a new CEO that's never done this before, it can be a little intimidating because you, generally you're sitting across the table from a team of people, most of whom will have done it more than once, and you're sitting across from professionals, essentially business development you know, acqu- acquirers, if you like. I think once the once the CEO and the, and his team get clear that this is a process and it's not about fighting each other, it's about both trying to achieve the goal of consummating the deal in a successful transition, that to me was something we worked very hard on very early. Um, it, it, is, it can be very disruptive to a small company to have a large company trample all over you for three or four days and doing, the, doing the weeks, months in some cases, doing the necessary diligence to get a deal done. And I think if you don't build that trust, um, early it becomes it becomes difficult it becomes combative in some cases, and I think those are those are telling signs i think if a if a team if a if a management team is um, not open with you is not potentially honest with you, those things come out and it just builds mistrust and I think right. both sides need to be to be open to, with each other and I think you have to be candid with people about what you can and can 't do managing
0: expectations is is very important as well richard you you mentioned about because I know that 's true that you know, when we showed up, it was an army, right? And we had done more than one transaction. And a lot of times, we were across the table from a 37, 38, 39-year-old CEO that's never done that before. Yeah. Yeah. What advice would you give that CEO when that meeting actually happens? What, in other words, yeah. is it banker relationships? Is it having sort of business development experts you have access to? What would what advice would you give them to help them? in that sort of interaction.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think I think I think there's some there's some advantages to all of that support. I mean, if you've never done it before and your your responsibility is to your investors and shareholders to get the best value return that you can get, then if you're committed to selling a company and there's a company out there that looks like they really want to buy it trying to understand that process i think um, using bankers is perfectly legitimate uh, i think you have to remember that they also have a role to play a role to play in in creating relationships Most of the bankers that would be involved in these kinds of deals are known to us as well as the strategics because we work with them in different ways. We don't usually hire bankers for small deals because we don't really need them, Um, but we know them all. And I think that we have reputations and and, and relationships to to maintain there as well. So that's that's one aspect of it. I think, honestly, um, hiring a law firm that knows what they're doing uh, there, there's nothing actually more worrying to me than walking in and finding that you've got the guy's brother's cousin who's a real estate attorney who's going to act as the general counsel for the deal that is actually terrifying right. um, I think if you, if, you, if you really are harnessed to the process go spend the money and get somebody that actually knows what they're doing because they will help you as their client through this
0: what sometimes feels onerous and torturous process and Richard I mean can we unpack that just a little bit more because sure. behind that small company CEO is normally a group of investors mm-hmm. Um, that have maybe varying expectations, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. What What's the role again? The CEO's role, that small company CEO, standing with a foot in both camps, trying to build a relationship with you, trying to maintain his relationship with his board, and that sometimes that's a pressure cooker for yep. the CEO. Yeah. How did How did you How did you and your team deal with helping that CEO sort of think that through? And any advice you might give that CEO about how to deal with that sort of pressure? So, so I've, that's. There's like nine things just went through my head at
1: once. There, um, look, there, there is a, there's a business development can be very personal in terms of style, right? And so my style and what I tried to engender in the teams that worked with me was a, a an openness and an honesty and a transparency, so you can help the CEO understand why you're asking for what you're asking for why the 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 deal size is is what the deal size is, and I mean, I mean again you know it's like, look, help me if you think it's worth more, show me why you think it's worth more, and if I can help understand that and I can find value that we haven 't found, then we can talk about that and I think the flip side of that is explaining to the to the c e o why the valuation you've come up with is the valuation you've come up with, right? So, uh, again, naive naive first-timers get carried away with multiples of earnings, multiples of sales. That's not how strategics value businesses, right? They do a 10-year discounted cash flow with a residual value. They build a standalone case. They build a premium based on what value they can create, and they split it with you. They're not going to give you all, <laughs> but they're going to give you some of it. Right. And if you can help them understand that they've missed some value... I mean, I remember a, a, a deal we did where somebody had a very high expectation versus what we believed the, the property was worth. And it turned out they viewed it as a platform technology with multiple applications beyond the application that we were interested in buying. And so we ended up splitting the deal by buying the application and licensing all the other rights back so the person could build a whole bunch of different companies right, if they chose perfect. to do that. Yeah. So I think that trying to understand what's really driving the deal is is, is important and then helping the CEO you know, manage the board. Um, sometimes it's difficult because sometimes people... People just have an expectation of value that's not realistic, and right. I think understanding that value gap and looking for ways to bridge it that are constructive is good. And if you can't get there, shaking hands and being friends is, is not wrong
0: with that. And, and Richard, that, I mean that because you're right. It's a process. It's a relationship <laughs> between the small sure. company. How, I, advice that you would give to CEOs because we, you know, they're all focused on trying to drive their business and develop their and build an extraordinary business. And a lot of times they have inbound. From sort of the junior business development people that are on a team. And it's a check in, right? Yeah, sure. Um, and to your point from earlier, it could be disruptive. What do you think? When should a CEO, if the company's not for sale and they're focused on it, but we know that there's strategic interest, mm-hmm. what's the role of the CEO? in terms of interacting with the strategic in your mind? Is it business unit leader to business unit, CEO to business unit leader? Is it CEO to business development leader? Because when you get when you showed up, there was a deal that was already, a lot of times we'd already made the decision yeah. that we're interested in this property and we want to do some work. But there is this sort of constant contact yep. that goes back and forth between companies. Any guidance you could sort of give to to CEOs about that the appropriate level of Yeah, I, I,
1: I think, so that's, that's, a, that's a good question. I think it's probably one of those things that you've got to sort of gauge by the tone of the conversation. If you've got an analyst or a manager calling you every three weeks for an update, you know, that's probably a waste of time. Um, if it's a legitimate sort of, hey, we'd like to sit down and understand where you are and then we'll come back to you in three or six months and see if you made that milestone or if you've got anything up to update us, I think that's fine. I think you've got to watch particularly in large, diverse companies, and j and J's is not the only one, obviously, uh, you've got to watch that you understand the dynamics of what's really going on, because you can waste a lot of time talking to people when there isn't a deal to get done. And I think sometimes you have to just cut that off and say, right. look, I'm sorry, I don't have time for this anymore. If you've got an interest in talking to us, you know, let me know. And and I think you've got to... run your business. Yeah, yeah, go back your business and maintain the relationship. Maintain the relationship.
0: And I've heard you say this, Richard, over and over. Companies are bought not sold and you know and we we're firm believers in that as yeah. well that that if you build a great business people will come knocking sure whether it be the public markets or the or you know or big strategic buyers absolutely and sometimes we worry a little bit that both ceos and investors to a large degree believe that you know you can build a little bit of value and then the strategic and then go sell the company um, we we've yet to see that as yeah. a, as a success strategy and I'm sure you would agree with yeah, that.
1: No, absolutely. I think you know, every every um CEO that I've worked with and, and he boards that I'm on today, I mean, the, the the constant conversation is driving the growing concern to the to the to the to the success of the enterprise. You have to be prepared to run them like the real company's gonna go public. Right. Um and if somebody comes along and says, Please don't do that, we'd like to acquire you then there's a trade off discussion that you can have that's Real, but you've got to run them as going concerns. You don't, you don't run them to sell them um,
0: because they they only get sold if somebody's interested in buying. Yeah, that's right, well, Richard. I think first of all, it's been terrific, and I I know our audience will will appreciate the sort of one one the depth of sort of and the, quite frankly the authentic sort of. Um, you know, the way that you talk about it is in, a, in the real world. It's not theoretical. It's, a, it's the way things get done. And I, I personally appreciate that sort of clarity. And I'm sure our audience, both our listening audience and our CEOs will appreciate that. And, Richard, we thank you again for, for doing this for us. And uh, we look forward to uh, working closely with you, helping our companies think through these complex issues. Thanks for looking it as well.